Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford, and this week we're learning all about the future of women's magazines. And with me in the studio to discuss women's mags, I have Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Dom. Feels like it's been a while since we've... And this may, in fact, be the first time we've talked about magazines as such on the podcast. I think that's true. Usually we've looked at a new lens of what they're doing nowadays. For example, a magazine doing podcasts, but this is the first time we're actually talking about the magazine brand itself. So I feel before we bowl in, we need to set the scene a bit. I'll start off and then I'll hand over to you from what I can remember. Go for it. So women's magazines. So magazines, very sort of gender split, for whatever reason. And they've Publishers have targeted women for ooh, just over 100 years or so, I think, late Victorian times. But if you look at our ABCs that we cover, there's still a good amount of women's mags on there, aren't there? I think there's probably 100 plus covering fashion, women's home interests, general various things, weeklies and monthlies. And we're talking this week about Cosmopolitan, which is the probably the most famous women's mag, I reckon, in the UK. Fair? Yeah, it's got real sort of name recognition, definitely. Up there with Vogue, isn't it, probably, yeah, in terms yeah. of one that, one that you've heard of. Yeah, and so what's going on with women's mags? Print across the board is generally going down, with a few exceptions. Is that the same for the uh, women's magazine sector? For many of them, yes. I'd say there were a few really rocky years, sort of five to eight years ago, something like that, especially where some of the print closures included Marie Claire UK in 2019, Now in 2019, Look and Star both in 2018, Glamour 2017, InStyle UK 2016. It really did feel like there were loads at once for a while. So some of those still exist online, but not all of them. Marie Claire UK and Glamour still going online. So it was a tough time, but... Some of the big brands, as you say, are still going strong. There's still a good number around. Cosmopolitan, L and Grazia, I'd say, are some of the sort of biggest name survivors from that period. And then you've obviously got celeb titles like Heat and Closer still going. The difference is obviously how they deliver what they're doing. So Cosmopolitan, for example, is now bi-monthly instead of monthly, but it's on 
all these different social platforms as well as the website and it's tried out the gaming platform Roblox as well which we'll hear a bit more about so for for comparison in 2021 Cosmopolitan had an ABC circulation of about 138,000 and 20 years earlier that was 463,000 so that's a drop of 70%. But when you put that together with the changing website audience, so in 2015, they were averaging about three and a half to four million users a month. And in 2022, they were about 16.8 million a month. So obviously, it's just changed how they're delivering it. And it still seems a really strong brand, to be honest. Yeah. Good facts. Good fact, I was going to ask you that. But yeah, and I think that circulation decline is probably reflective across the piece. If you look at other similar magazine brands, it's still not to be sniffed at, is it? 138,000. But it's a heck of a big decline compared to what they used to be like. But then in 2000, that was all there, wasn't it? If you wanted to get that sort of content, you had to buy a magazine. There's obviously a lot more competition out there for that sort of stuff. Oh, great. So who are we speaking to at Cosmo? So we are speaking to Claire Hodgson, who has been editor-in-chief of Cosmo UK since spring 2019. And she's been at Cosmo since 2015 when she joined as digital editor. And then she later became digital editorial director. So she's obviously brought a lot of digital expertise to the editor-in-chief role. So Cosmo was born in 1972. Yep, so it turned 50 last year Cosmo UK to be specific the US one is older than that yeah so it's a couple of years older than me similarly a sort of established media voice but one that's looking to reinvent itself as it goes in to the 2020s so what can I learn from Cosmo in terms of staying relevant and powerful (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite comparison of the week (laughs) Dominic Ponson versus Cosmopolitan. So Claire covers a lot about what they're doing to stay relevant and why that's so important. But I started by asking her just to summarise what Cosmopolitan is today in 2023. Gosh, I think it would be easier to say what Cosmopolitan isn't, Charlotte. It's so many things now. I think we definitely approach Cosmopolitan as a brand, I think, in 2023. Last year, we celebrated our 50th anniversary I find it quite fascinating when you think about it that actually for so much of that history it really was best known as a print product and print is still a really integral part of what we do as a brand completely we're also a really thriving digital business now we're a video content producer we're a social media brand obviously a very strong digital brand but so many other things as well that we do as well as that that's been really exciting for me over the last sort of four years and definitely going into 2023 getting to be an editor that can really with my amazing team rethink what a magazine brand is and means nowadays and I think that is quite different from what it has ever meant before in terms of its scope. Yeah definitely it was very different to even five or so years ago just a magazine. We're going to get into lots of those things a bit more but who is your audience nowadays? It's interesting I think I even hesitate to call the cosmopolitan audience young women now. Obviously young women have always been our kind of target audience as a brand but I think you know it's in our name really cosmopolitan has always been really about diversity inclusivity really good representation of like a 
very broad scope of people, I think. And when you look at the kind of generations we're talking to today, actually calling them young women feels increasingly insufficient because our audience are increasingly very gender fluid. We have a really thriving LGBTQ audience. But certainly we are a brand that's obviously targeting that 18 to 35 demographic, but equally that audience can skew very much younger or older depending on the part of the brand we're looking at as well. So very much focused on our target audience, but very lucky to work on a brand that also reaches lots of very different people from lots of very different communities as well. And do you have any figures you can share of how big that audience is? Yeah, certainly digitally, as I said, it's been incredible. I've been on the brand for about eight and a half years now, and I started off on the digital part of the business. And back when I took over as digital editor, which was, I think, in about 2015, we were averaging about three and a half, four million users a month. And we're now, as of 2022, our average unique users were 16.8 million globally. The scope of particularly the website has just increased massively. But as I said earlier, what we do has increased in terms of its remit as well so that has changed hugely in terms of the audience sizes in other areas outside of the website so you know we have just under six million social media followers which span about eight different platforms and then about 15 million users on average viewers should I say on video content as well a month at the moment so it's an incredibly broad audience as I say which is why it can sometimes be quite hard to pin them down and obviously it shifts a lot from platform to platform too. Yeah, but as you say, you need to be on all of it nowadays, don't you? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I think it's, it's not just a need, it's definitely a want for a brand like ours as well. As I said, it's one of the most exciting parts of my job as an editor, but also for my team to get to think, OK, we don't just have to think about a 2D print page now. We can think about the brand in all these different exciting ways. And an hour with some talent or a feature idea we have can now become a piece of audio. It can become video content. It can become a great feature on the website that has all this moving material and it. it's it's very exciting within that what types of content would you say do you best in terms of a content pillars like entertainment or at one point it was people heard cosmopolitan thought sex and that's still part of it isn't it but how big a part and what else are the key i hesitate to use the word vertical some people hate that word but yeah that's what i'm getting at <laughs> i don't mind it love sex and relationship content is always going to be a really big part of what cosmopolitan does as a brand because it's a really big part of probably the lives of everyone listening to this podcast right now and certainly all of our audience and I find it interesting sometimes people a bit like I felt like you're doing then it's a bit like oh obviously Cosmo's always been known a bit for love and sex and I'm really proud of that I think especially the time that we're living in where we're having conversations about LGBTQ representation and gender identity different shapes of relationships but also really what happy healthy relationships look like we saw a huge increase in reports of domestic abuse during the pandemic which is incredibly worrying and something we've addressed a lot of a lot of times as a brand I think consent has become increasingly important there's so many aspects of what relationships mean to people and I feel incredibly privileged that we have this huge platform with which to talk to our readers and say actually this is what you deserve in your relationships in your life and this is how you can ask for that and make sure you demand that your partner is treating you with respect and love and kindness so that will always be a really core part of our dna and i'm very proud of the fact that it is in ways that a lot of other brands out there don't really tackle that as a topic area and then in terms of the other verticals i mean it changes massively you look at topic like entertainment definitely one of our biggest areas on the website and celebrity drives certainly some of that interest but 
equally a really big part of it is television and movies and streaming particularly. We can certainly see shifts in terms of audience demand around when different Netflix shows are going to land. And it's a really broad audience. We have shows that Again, I love this about our audience, but I love this just because I think people that aren't our audience are, find it unexpected when really it's not because women are very varied and many like men are. But we see really big interest around shows like The Witcher and Vikings and a lot of shows that people would probably think, oh, Cosmo wouldn't cover that. I myself am thrilled about the return of Formula One Drive to Survive, for example. Me too. We cover a lot in our entertainment content. And so that section really has, can have periods where it's a bit quieter if there's not a lot going on, but also periods where it's absolutely booming us for traffic. And then you obviously touched on a lot of our content is around fashion, beauty, really big sections for us. Obviously, beauty, I think, has become even more important to people over the last couple of years, having that kind of more focus on the self and self-care and beauty isn't just makeup anymore. And if that is what it is for you, that's great. But it's also just having those moments of, of you time, I think, whether that's skincare or taking a bath or whatever. We always used to joke that Cosmopolitan should have a waterproof edition because we found out in a survey there's a huge proportion of our readers that read the magazine in the bath, which I just love. But yeah, and then obviously careers content's a really big part of what we do. Yeah, sorry, that's a very broad answer. But like I said, I think the great thing about this brand is with an audience as big as ours, what we actually find is within each of those top areas those verticals sorry to use the term again often are as big for us as whole websites that exist for other brands so that we really pay them a lot of attention in equal measure really so we're obviously going to talk more about digital in a minute but just to cover print first of all since it was print first can you just tell us about what the print magazine looks like nowadays and you mentioned it's integral to the brand like how does it fit within everything else nowadays oh passion for print has really not wavered at all. I'm really pleased that our circulations re- remained really strong over the last few years. About half of our audience are paid subscribers which I think is really great and we actually saw in 2022 our revenue per issue on our digital editions actually grew by 13% so we're also seeing a real growth in kind of the way in which people consume our print product which is really exciting. I got into this industry for magazines. I love print media and while I actually spent a lot of my career on the digital side of media and magazines. I adore print and we still see that in staff that join the team today. I have some amazing, very digitally savvy people on my team as of course our brand requires. And these are people that are absolute natives to platforms like Snapchat and TikTok and Be Real. They're on it all the time, but you see that excitement in their face when they get their first print byline. And that's because I think it doesn't matter your age or what media you might consume the most. I think there is and will always be something very special about print and what it represents in people's lives. And I think that for us, it's it's really our shop window. It's, it's that physical example of what we represent as a brand. It's out there on a newsstand. It really helps in terms of that halo effect, that brand recognition that people have. And I speak to people of all different ages and demographics who, as I was speaking to a young girl a couple of weeks ago, and she's, oh yeah, I love Cosmo. And I'll always pick it up when I'm getting a train. And my mum always read it when she was growing up. And it's really this kind of generational thing. And we have people applying for jobs that join the team and they'll talk about what Cosmo has meant to them and often that is talking about the print brand it's an experience they have had in their lives and print meant something to them at that time and as much as we see really solid engagement metrics on the site really good time spent there is also something just very different about that moment in time you can spend with a magazine I think that allows for 
much more kind of deep and considered conversations to be had that you really know are being engaged with by your target audience who have cared enough and know the brand well enough to pick it up and read it. So I think particularly with our investigations that we do, again, print always feels like the natural place to start those because of the deep engagement you get with your audience when they're picking up a print product. And so as editor-in-chief, how much of your time is spent thinking about print? I mean, it varies massively (laughs) from week to week, really. I think print naturally... I think can take up a bit more of your time than digital sometimes can, partly because I think particularly now we're bi-monthly, you're really conscious that product is out there for two months. And as I said, your readers are really expecting a great quality experience. And that travels across everything we do as a brand is that desire for quality. But obviously, just naturally, the cadence of print means you might spend a few weeks where you're focused much more on digital and not thinking as much about print particularly after we've just launched an issue, done all the promo for it and it's out there in the world. And often my wonderful team will be bubbling away doing content for the next issue, but I often will then get a bit of a period where I can really throw myself back into digital. But I'm very lucky that I have an amazing executive editor under me who we've worked together for a very long time, both very passionate about print, but also very excited about what our digital capabilities are. So I also know that I she's always there as well, keeping things going. If I'm a bit more on print, she'll be a bit more on digital and vice versa. So yeah, we make a good tag team. <laughs> That's always good to have. Yes. Um, and overall, how do you see your role as a magazine and magazine brand editor? again in 2023? I think a lot of it is always thinking about what's next. I think that particularly when you work in digital and have, even if you don't work directly in digital, everyone has a lot of data at their hands now. And particularly with audience sizes, the scale of ours, there's just a huge amount of data. And I think that data is incredibly useful and anyone would be very foolish to not look at that data let it inform them but obviously data is by default a historical tracker it's never really going to be able to give you a firm view on what's coming down the pipe ahead of you and a lot of that comes from the reading both myself and my team will do around topics that we think are gaining traction ways of communicating content that we think are kind of emerging and growing so that's really a lot of where our focus is and I think particularly for a brand like Cosmopolitan we really have to be a brand that is excited by change and really jumps into change rather than ever feeling like change is being forced upon us and we've got to do it now because it's become a thing I really want us to be a brand that is the trendsetter in making a platform form a thing to begin with I think back to I think it's about five or six years ago now we were one of only a handful of brands in the UK that were a media partner for this little app that launched called Snapchat and at the time we were a bit like don't know what this is going to be like it seems like it's really gaining traction I think it's going to be really big but also it was new it was a completely new platform and a new way of presenting content and actually within a few weeks the data we were starting to get back was incredible we were finding that actually about 50 to 60 percent of our audience were coming back three to five days a week and even now that is still the same five or six years on and actually around about 30% of our audience on Snapchat are coming to us five to seven days a week. And you're talking about a very big audience on there. So it's a really loyal, engaged audience. And I think that's one of the things that is so great about this job is that we're a brand that's very innovative and can really try and play and experiment with these things. But also because we've got that sort of 50 years of heritage in this very iconic title, we've got this really lovely, deep 
engagement and loyalty from our audience. So we do launch on these platforms and then we see our readers coming with us on that journey and enjoying the content we produce in a very different way, which is just, yeah, it's a real joy to, to get to experience that. Hi, I'm Anoush and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Often when we're talking to editors and people about social media, obviously a big question is other than just people seeing the brand, what's Mm -hmm. the, why is it worth it? Like obviously some platforms, monetization is easier than others. Mm -hmm. So how's that for you? Like with Snapchat, do do you still have a deal? How do the different platforms sort of stack up in terms of that? extra value rather than just make obviously it's important to make sure that you're seen by your audience on all the different platforms but there's got to be a bit of base yeah all of our platforms do different things and i think that you have to be able to address them as such revenue is important and should be front and center but that's only because your consumer should be front and center to what you're doing your audience should be the absolute focus of everything you do and trying to create the best quality product for them that is exciting and innovative and feels integral to their life because I think if you can do that then revenue just follows and actually revenue doesn't have to be your focus because you've put your consumer first and that's just what will happen as a result of that and whether that's creating a really good quality print product that they look forward to picking up whether that is creating really zeitgeisty news content that drives scale whether it is being on social and creating a really funny topical meme that drives a like or whether it's producing really trusted relatable shopping content that someone trusts enough to go and click on and purchase um we're really not in the business of driving clickbait content, pushing pop-ups, forcing engagement on social. We're just in the business of trying to create a really great consumer experience because I think when you just come at it from that angle and have your audience at the forefront of what you're doing, it becomes much more organic. And that's really the way we approach our different social platforms is where is our reader? Because it doesn't matter if a social platform isn't driving direct revenue. There aren't ad slots on that platform. If you can go on a platform and engage a whole new ton of audience on there that go, oh, yeah, I follow Cosmo on TikTok or on Snapchat or wherever it may be, that is, again, going to have a huge kind of ripple effect on the rest of your brand and what you do. So I think our approach with new platforms is we try to really not be too narrow-minded with what is this platform going to deliver for us it's thinking what are we delivering for our reader and if you come at it from that perspective I think there's always going to be a positive coming out of it in whatever way shape or form that ends up looking like. That completely makes sense so just to cycle back slightly obviously sort of the 2010s or so was a really tough time for some print magazines and women's for example like other big brands like Glamour and Marie Claire UK obviously closed in print Cosmos 
got through that period, avoided that fate. So basic question of just how did you do it? How did you manage to push through to now? I think that gets brought up quite a lot. Oh, that happened for competitors as if that's like a joyous thing for us. But it's not. these are people we know and work with, brands we've also loved. I grew up reading a lot of these other women's magazine brands as well. And I think, as I said, most people that work in the, this industry love and care about print as a really integral part of that. But I think, as I said, I, all I can speak to is from the last sort of eight years I've been on the brand. And as I said, it has really been trying to think very holistically about what we offer as an ecosystem and as a brand. When you do that, you become stronger because actually you might have a month where Google's algorithms have changed and your traffic dips a little bit, but actually maybe you had a great cover star on print and that really bumped circulation that month. Or you might have put an event on or any number of things. And I think that's where our strength has really lied in having so many parts. We always had this thing that we used to this kind of visual we used to use that was called the Cosmo ecosystem that sometimes we have but it became it had all these dots around it that sort of said you print digital social video events and it got to the point where the dots didn't all fit on it anymore because there were just so many things that we could offer both for our audience and the clients we work with and our partners that it became an impossibility to keep using that but I, th- I think that's where our strength has come from really is having that breadth to our brand. So you've spoken about the benefits of the social platforms. Mm -hmm. Have they also proven a challenge with celebs putting their own content up and people spending all their time looking at, I don't know, a clothes page on Instagram? How do you weigh up the challenges that brings as well? Has that been part of the threat to women's titles? I always say that technology is actually probably our biggest competitor in a way because it's tech and the innovations that are happening on tech that the things that can have the biggest impact on us and how our content is just distributed in the habits of our reader and as I said it could be by default an algorithm change could happen on Google or on a meta platform and that can completely skew what is happening for you in any given month it's definitely a challenge and I think for us as I said a lot of that I'd have talked about the breadth of our brand in terms of types of content and experiences we offer but also it's the breadth of our brand even taking the site for example making sure we have a good breadth of traffic sources and mediums and that we're always keeping close to that and actually we saw that our direct traffic was up 50% last year which was really nice because that's showing I think our social traffic was up about 9 nine or 10% which is just really lovely because again that's just showing if you put your reader first and your audience first and you can get that really loyal engaged habit from them then you're going to build that direct relationship with them and that it matters a bit less than what other headwinds you're facing. So that's always something we're, we're really pushing for is, like I said, that ever-growing closeness with our audience and really building that loyalty and that repetitive habit in, in using us as a brand. Also, I think the good thing with challenge is it means you've got to be on your A-game. If, you, if there are challenges out there, you have to be the best at what you do and... I'm obviously a bit biased, but I really believe we are the best at what we do. And I certainly think I have some of the best talent out there in the industry at the moment. Yeah, I think challenge is a good thing, pushes you. Just on the direct audiences and driving loyalty, is there anything in particular you've done with to build that, for example, newsletters or something like that? Or is it just a product of this overall strategy? I think it's a largely a product of the overall strategy. I, I think it has come from, as I said, we are a brand that's got this 50-year heritage. And as I said, I don't really think the core DNA of what our brand is and what it represents has actually changed that much over 50 years. We were talking about the AIDS crisis back in the 80s. We had Boy George on our cover. We have always been a brand that is really 
diverse, inclusive, relatable, approachable to people, but that also was really tackling quite meaty, heavy issues that sometimes other people were afraid to go there. And I think that is one of the things that has really been important because I think when your audience understand who you are and what they would come to you for, it it builds habit. And I think there's this, we did some research last year probably my favourite stat ever, was that we found 96% of our audience trust what they read and see on Cosmo. And I was just like, wow, that that is amazing. And that was across platforms, you know, that wasn't just looking at a print reader or a digital reader. And I think that when you can build that sort of real understanding from your audience and that they know what your brand values are, what they can expect from you, and that kind of real trust in what you're giving to them, that then is the really strong foundation, like I said, that can mean we can go and experiment on a new platform and do these different things and play around because our reader already knows, oh, yeah, I know what Cosmo represents and what I'm going to get from them and that they're going to make me laugh or inform me about something or whatever. And I think that's played a really big part in in that growth. Speaking of new platforms, tell us about the Summerverse. Mm. What is that? Yeah, at the end of last year, we decided to partner with a platform called Roblox and basically to build out this kind of virtual, we call it Cosmoverse Summerverse, where it's basically a sort of virtual Cosmo space in the metaverse, essentially, where it's summer all year long. We made that choice because we know summer is like the period in our audience's life. It's holidays, it's festivals, it's falling in love over the summer, it's reading a really great book, it's buying new clothes, it's changing up your hair and makeup. It's, there's so much about summer that I think feels like a time of like excitement and reinvention for our audience. So that felt like a really, and also we live in Britain and the weather's mostly awful. So we're like, let's just make it summer all year round. But yeah, it was re- it's been really exciting. So we've basically developed this area that's in beta stage at the moment. And we're then going to be going out to if partners want to work with us on building out into something a bit more substantial but it was really exciting to start having those conversations because as you said you've been talking about we're a brand that wants to be first and looking at what's next and the metaverse is the next thing that we all need to be thinking about and aware of and the reason we decided to work with Roblox is actually 16 to 24 year olds was their fastest growing demographic on the platform which obviously just felt perfect for us as well very exciting to to be trialing something like that yeah it's pretty fun. Some all year round, love it. <laughs> so is there anything else like that you're going to be trying or is one metaverse experiment enough for now? <laughs> I think you've got to be careful to not spread yourself too thin. I think never say never. We're always, like I said, literally always looking at what's the next thing, what should we be trying next? So I'm sure there will be other things we'll be looking into this year. That's the phase of the year we're in at the moment is thinking what's next, what should we be looking at for the next year, two years. But that's definitely been our focus at the moment. But I think it's really important to us Generally, we're trying to do a lot in terms of both content, but also other things we do as a brand working in this kind of tech and gaming space, because I just think there are so many areas of life from medicine and science through to the technology we use that have largely been built by men for men. And I think that I really hope and believe that women are going to be at the forefront of new media. And so I really feel very passionately that 
I want our brand to be a brand that is championing that and supporting that and trying to help get women excited about working in these industries because I really want us to be the ones crafting this new phase of the internet we're all about to enter. Just finally, I thought it'd be good to finish just by looking ahead into mm-hmm. the next five years or so. I thought maybe first, if you sum up what's the biggest challenges maybe, or you were using different words earlier, challenge, threat, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. But And then nice to finish on the positive, so then the opportunities of the next five years or so. Yeah, God, I think I would be a billionaire if I could tell you for sure what the threats and opportunities we're going to be over the next five years. I think, as I said, I think it really is about technology and platforms. I think for us, it's all about my biggest priority for Cosmopolitan as a brand is relevancy. And I think that for us, that's in three three ways. So that's relevancy in terms of content. As I said, we've got to be really brave and bold with the stuff we cover, maybe addressing topics other people haven't gone to yet, because that's a really big part of staying relevant in the lives of your reader. I think there's having a really fresh, current feeling aesthetic. So we actually had our biggest redesign in probably about a decade last summer across all of our platforms. And that was all about really making sure our brand across everything we do felt super joined up and very current and relevant to the lives of our audience. And that went down a treat. The the first post we did actually teasing the new look had our highest Instagram reach of all time. It was like 1.5, over 1.5 million, I think. So that's been a really big focus for us. And then lastly, like I said, it is relevancy of platform. You You can be creating amazing zeitgeisty content that looks incredible, But if you're just pumping it out in old formats on old platforms, you're probably not going to really entertain or excite your current audience and you're definitely not going to attract any new audience. So we've been working on all of that stuff and that's all going to remain a focus. But obviously, I think that last piece around platform is just going to keep changing how content is delivered, where it's delivered, what that needs to look like and what the purpose of it is in the lives of our audience, I think is going to definitely be both the challenge and the opportunity. Thanks for that, Charlotte. That's great, that. Great to hear from the big cheese, the Grand Fromage at Cosmo UK, Claire Hodgson. So it seems that Cosmopolitan's doing a good job, really, of reinventing itself in the face of massive change in the industry and massive sort of technological disruption. So my question to you, Charlotte, is what can I, Dominic Ponsford, learn from Cosmopolitan? Or perhaps more importantly, our publisher listeners... Uh, What can they learn from Cosmo if they want to similarly transform and stay hip and relevant? I think all of these are relevant to both you and media brands. So firstly, basic but worth saying is the importance of staying relevant. If you're not relevant, I think it doesn't matter how otherwise good the product is. And then part of that is being at the forefront of new platforms to make sure you're the first to crack them instead of playing catch up so for example with Cosmo that might be TikTok or Roblox be equally as Claire said don't spread yourself too thin and then finally if you've got a well-known brand like Cosmopolitan or Dominic Ponsford or Press Gazette you've got to make sure you protect it at all costs it clearly pays off if people trust you and trust that brand and they know it's been around a long time and they like its brand values so basically I think don't compromise it with cheap tricks I was thinking that. I was thinking TikTok. But now you give me a word of caution. Stay classy. Yeah, if it doesn't fit your brand to go on TikTok, that's fine. Just make sure you're across where 
your particular audiences. Obviously for Cosmo, that's young women or young people find checking out this new video platform, but that might not be right for your audience. Great stuff. Thank you, Charlotte. Lots to learn, as always. Lots of take-homes. Brilliant. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Prescott Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Ponsford, UK Editor, Charlotte Tobit, who was talking to Claire Hodgson, the Editor-in-Chief of Cosmopolitan UK. And we were engineered, as always, by Adrian Bradley. You can read more about the magazine industry, audience figures, latest trends, future insights, the whole shebang on pressgazette.co.uk. Please go there, sign up for our newsletters and subscribe to this podcast as well if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.